Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of ClabesOnline.com. I'm Mike Claiborne, of course, and today we're going to do something a little different. Like normally we talk with athletes, coaches, people of the past, broadcasters, you name it in the world of sports. Thought of going a little bit of a different direction, talk to somebody who has had great success in the food and beverage industry, and I'm talking about Danny Meyer. Now, you may think of Danny Meyer as our St. Louis's own Burroughs graduate, had a very good career in the food and beverage industry, and we think of Shake Shack. True, Shake Shack is one of the most successful hamburger chains in America, if not the world. But also, Danny Meyer is involved with a company called Union Square Hospitality in New York. They feature over 20 of the top shelf restaurants in New York. He's been restaurant tour of the year on several occasions. He's a noted author. He's got a great book. It's been out for a bit, but folks, if you want to read about food and beverage and the business and the industry itself, you have to be able to check out one of his books. And it's a book that I would certainly recommend. When you think about Danny Meyer, you think about his book. It's called Setting the Table. You can check it out on Amazon, wherever you find your books at. It's a great book that everybody should keep around, especially if you go out and you eat. So that way you have a better idea of how the other side thinks of you and how important you are to them. So Danny Meyer is our guest. We have a number of things we're going to talk about. And you don't want to miss why he closed down his restaurants. He was one of the first people in the country to shut it down, and he shut it down early. You'll be amazed at how that story came about. He was one of the first restaurants, Shake Shack that is, that gave the government money back, and he had a very good reason on why. And there are a lot of other things you'll learn about Danny Meyer when you hear what we have to talk about, and it comes your way after we take this time out. Munganass St. Louis Acura would like to extend a huge thank you to our healthcare workers and first responders by offering them several service specials, including a free interior detail cleaning. You can call them today to make your appointment and let them help you while you are helping our community. Find them online at stlouisacura.com or give them a call 314-822-2872 for Munganass St. Louis Acura. We love talking to the president and chairman of Ameren, Illinois. He is Richard Mark. Emergency Operations Center acts as kind of a central command center, and everything is dictated from there. They tell the crews that are out in the field where to go, where the main breakers are to go to to de-energize the line, and then they verify that that line is closed, and they're able to tell five, six, seven hundred people that are working out in the field exactly where to go to make the proper repairs to get our system back on in a storm situation. Well, it's a real treat for me, and it's going to be a treat for everybody else because we're going to talk to one of my good friends. He's Danny Meyer of Union Square Hospitality Group in New York, but also uh, Shake Shack for our friends locally who are familiar with it. And first of all, Danny, it's great to visit with you. We'll talk about Union Square, but I'm going to get to the real meat of the order. Shake Shack, a new location is coming online very soon, not far away from me. Uh, and I'm glad, A, you have one store here, and now we have two in St. Louis. Well, hey, Mike, and hey, St. Louis. I, I miss being there. I miss seeing my mom. I miss uh, getting to visit my son, uh, Peyton, who you've met, Mike, uh, who's at uh, Washington University. And uh, I miss getting to be there for the opening of our new Shake Shack, um, which was just about a week and a half away when, when this whole thing hit. And uh, it's ready to go. We just, we got to wait till it's safe to, 
to put people to work and safe for people to come out, but it's going to be a beauty. It is a beauty, uh, the way it's set up, and I know people in that area will certainly look forward to it. It'll be a hot spot for sure. All right, let, let's talk a little bit about Danny Meyer at this point as far well, as— Hold on, Mike. You're not going to tell them where that new Shake Shack's going to oh, be? Oh, in the Ledoux Crossing, <laughs> right there in uh, Maryland and uh, right, right at Maryland and 170 where the Schnooks is. When you turn into that area, you just look to your left. You can't miss it. It's the first building on the left-hand side. It's got a brand-new patio that will be the talk of the town. And uh, I just, just suggest everybody who's been yearning to get to one, and well, I think that patio is going to be. I agree great because it's, it's going to be a even, deal breaker. Even though it's going to take people a while to to get back to eating inside restaurants, uh, when you can be outside and enjoy a good burger and some fresh air, and you know have the proper distance between you and the next table, that's going to be a good deal. Which leads me to this: um, when the word came out that the NBA was shutting down and this was shutting down. Uh, what went through your mind? Because Shake Shack and Union Square Hospitality, well, let's put it this way, Union Square Hospitality, and you have 25 restaurants in the Saint, in the uh, New York area. What went through your mind, and you came out early in making a huge decision? Yeah, we were early, Mike, uh, in New York in terms of closing down all of our restaurants. And I think I started paying attention to this maybe sooner than some others had, and for two reasons that, that you might be surprised by. I had uh, two trips, two uh, you know international trips on my calendar for March, and one was going to be to China. Actually, that was going to be in late February, and then one was going to be to Italy, which was going to be in mid March. And so I was watching those two countries very, very closely, and of course, those were the two countries that got hit really uh, before anyone else did. With the virus, and the other thing is, is that uh, Randy Garudi, who's the CEO of Shake Shack, had been in China uh, because we we've, we've got uh, Shake Shack in uh, in Shanghai, and we were going to be opening in Beijing at that point. He had been in China with uh, a bunch of folks from the Shake Shack team in uh, mid January, and it was just when the virus had become public in China. And he was he was telling me stories about how when they tried to leave the country to go to Japan, uh, they were not allowed over the border without having their temperatures taken. Now, that sounds like a really obvious thing right now. But when you hear that for the first time on January the 14th and, you know, you've got a trip yourself planned there in February, you start saying this is this is the real deal. So uh, long story short. We had a couple scares uh, that proved to be nothing uh, at our restaurants beginning on March the 3rd in New York. And uh, we closed them because I wasn't going to put anyone in harm's way. And I said, this is just going to keep happening. So at the end of that week, at the end of that first week of March, I said, you know what? Everything I'm reading about, and I, I was just starting to read things about the curve and how you know, all these things we now have been talking about forever, flattening the curve, social distancing. We had never even heard those expressions. And I said, we're just going to close. And then actually when the NBA did make its decision, that was the very day I said, that's it. If, if they're smart enough to uh, be taking a business way, way bigger than, than ours and, and saying that safety means more than business, I got to do the same thing. Toughest decision you've ever made? 
I mean, you've made a lot of big decisions in your life, uh, whether it's in the food and beverage industry and some of the other things you've done before that. Uh, but when you look back, was it a tough decision? And uh, are you feeling even better about that decision? Well, the toughest decision business-wise was actually about two weeks after closing. And that was to lay off what amounted to about 90% of our employees. And you got to understand, Mike, you know, I've spent my whole career trying to build an organization that is about putting our own people first and putting our customers second and trying to prove that that's actually a really good way to do business. No one, you know, when I grew up in St. Louis, no one said, hey, the way to succeed is to put your customer second. But that's what we've been doing. And so to wake up that morning and saying, this is getting worse. It's not going to get better for a long time. Uh, and now, again, I'm back in, I'm at the very, very end of March right now. And I said, you know what? The, the, the most counterintuitive thing in the world is to say, the only way to put people first is to protect our business so that when this thing is behind us, we will have a business that can rehire people. Because if you're in the restaurant business, the burn rate of payroll with zero revenue is going to put you out of business in a matter of days or weeks, but certainly not months. Yeah, you know, in, in that situation, you, you had a lot of people at stake that were counting on you. You had kind of changed the approach about how your wait staff is employed. There were a lot of things you were doing that were, that were certainly innovative. But then you have uh, you shut it down. And then you make another big decision, and that was giving the federal money back. And and you did it in a manner where it was a quiet Sunday night, no big press conference or anything. It was a quiet release that said, we're giving our money back. And then all of a sudden, we started to see other businesses make that decision and give the money back to the government. What spurned that decision? Because it was a, it was one that a lot of people have kept the money. Maybe for the wrong reasons, maybe for the right reasons. We will, we, in some cases, we won't know. But what was your reason? Well, what happened, Mike, was that the day that the, um, the money came in, uh, Shake Shack made a press release the next day saying that, uh, that they had received, they had been eligible and had received $10 million in payroll protection program funding, uh, which, and it was, it was obviously, for us anyway, the right thing when, when Shake Shack applied for that loan to apply because stock was plummeting and the bottom had dropped out of business at that point, and we wanted to take care of our team. But the very day that the press release went out, uh, which was a Friday, happened to be the exact same day that the government announced that they had run out of funding for the uh, payroll protection program. And because this was funding that was slated for small businesses and because Shake Shack had alternative means of financing by going to the public markets, which most independent restaurants don't have that kind of alternative, is as obvious of a decision as it was to have applied in the first place. Once we learned that, you know, without knowing it, we had gotten in line in front of the vast majority of businesses who could therefore not get it. Then it was a very obvious decision to say, okay, we're not, we're not going to keep that money. And um, what I didn't know is that inadvertently Shake Shack would become sort of the poster child for a whole movement. Uh, and I think subsequent to Shake Shack 
returning the loan that they had been eligible for and received, at least $2 billion of additional loans have been returned to the government, including from universities uh, who have stated, you know, the Shake Shack. I just read an article about my alma mater, John Burroughs, returning its loan, and they mentioned Shake Shack in, in their <laughs> article. So, gosh, you know, you first of all, I used to think I was going to be known for fine dining and then all of a sudden I walk around and I'm a hamburger and now I'm now I'm a poster child for returning loans I can't wait for the next example you're going to set I just want to be known as a Cardinals fan and a Blues fan that's a good start for you for sure hey you know the the new norm in, in your industry is yet to be determined but but what mental notes are you taking now because at some point and we hope it's soon that we'll have a legitimate all clear. What have you learned from this that you're going to be able to apply? Well, I've learned that uh, there's not going to be an all clear sign that uh, the days of green lights and red lights are over, that we live in a time where we are all living with a yellow light. And we are, it's kind of like we keep every single day uh, arriving at a new intersection and and there's no stop sign or go signs. It's it's only this flashing ca- proceed with caution. And you got to make choices. And, and when you see one of those yellow lights, not only do you have to be cautious, but you also have to go for it at a certain point. And so what I'm seeing, Mike, is a tremendous amount of ambiguity for people who, who like, you know, yes and no answers. There's very, very few. You got to rely on your own moral compass you got to proceed with caution, but you have to proceed. And so we're now, you know, just to put things in perspective, on March the 11th, we had 2,400 employees at Union Square Hospitality Group. Today, we have 75. And I am now proceeding with caution, but I'm proceeding with a great sense of excitement at the same, at the same time, because can you imagine if you were first getting into business and you had a blank canvas and you said, what could I do with 75 incredibly talented people, in my case with 35 years of experience, knowing what we now know um, about how different tomorrow is going to be than yesterday, and what would you do? And what would you do with all of these different restaurants we have? Like, what is Union Square Cafe going to become in the new world? What's Gramercy Tavern going to become? I promise you that we want them one day, you know, when there's a vaccine and everybody feels safe coming back to restaurants, which may be two years from now, for God's sakes, before the vast majority of people feel safe. Um, but what will those restaurants want to be at that point? How will we fill them with people? What will the menus be? I guarantee it's going to be a lot different than it, than it was. And as you say that, do you, and I, I would imagine you're still trying to formulate what that looks like. Uh, because if this is, if there's one tradition, I think in our society that is definitely going to change, it's going to be the food and beverage industry. Uh, because at, we you knew, used to know it as a gathering spot where people were close together. You know, that obviously is going to change for the foreseeable future. But I'm sure there are going to be some other things with regard to how quickly you do it, the, the safety that goes into it, and, and trying to service as many people with less space to work from, I would imagine. 
Yeah, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I do believe, and this everything you're asking me goes for going to a ball game as well, right? Or oh, yeah. getting on getting on an airplane. I do believe that the human spirit is resilient, that we always find a way. I also think the human desire to gather with people is irrepressible. And, you know, when you go to a ball game, I could make the case that you could actually see the game even better by watching it on TV. But you want to be or listening people. on the radio. Let's not eliminate well, that industry yet. Okay, I won't do that, Mike. That's for, yeah, that's for sure. But uh, uh, you know, I think that the the reason people like going to restaurants as opposed to just having food delivered to their home or going to to ball games or hockey games is you want to cheer when everybody else is cheering. You want to be part of that group. You want to you know you want to be sad when something bad happens with everybody else. And I think. Restaurants will come back. Look, people, the, the good news about our industry is that people, you know, eat three times a day at least. And that's not changing. So the real question is, um, and, and by the way, people are using their homes and their kitchens more than they have, you know, forever. But people want to get out of the house and, and it gets tiring, uh, you know, putting a mask on and shopping for food and doing the dishes every single night. So it'll come back, but we just have to get to the point where we have the virus version of what the metal detector was after 9-11, which, you know, that was pre-existing technology, but once there were metal detectors everywhere, whether it was at, you know, ball games or business offices, office buildings, um, Disneyland, obviously airports, et cetera, that's when people started to feel safe getting back on airplanes because they didn't need to worry that the guy next to them was going to do something bad. Well, in the age of we don't have a virus detector yet, but that's that's kind of what the vaccine is going to be like. And once that happens, I do believe that, you know, I, it may take it may take different people different amount of times to want to come back. I think young people uh, probably think that they are. uh you know, immune from this or, or whatever, they may, they may be the first people to come out, uh, you know, unlike after nine 11, where you couldn't make a gross generalization, I would say that uh, young people are going to get uh, out to bars and restaurants probably, and they're going to lead the way. Aside from the people in your industry uh, that you talk to about what's going on, and I'm sure you talk to people outside of it, uh, have you found there to be a common subject uh, that concern of concern when it comes up? I mean, because everybody's trying to find what what the next door is going to have behind it. But as you cross paths and, and you're a well-known person and we know you're a sports fan, you've obviously become successful in the food and beverage industry, but you have friends in other industries as well. Any common thread you're running across? Yeah. Fear of running out of money. <laughs> I think that's. That's that's pretty much the consistent theme just about everywhere. And, and it's a real it's a real concern because, you know, the number of fixed costs that uh, the restaurants have are extraordinary. Um, there's debt to pay. That doesn't stop. There's rent to pay. That doesn't stop. Even if the landlord is uh, not being paid this month, you know, they're breathing down your neck waiting for the next and I would also say that the day that restaurants closed, uh, as mandated by by their state or their city, uh, they probably had bills to pay as well. They probably had, 
uh, members of their team that they owed a paycheck to. And so I do think that uh, the biggest fear is that the government programs so far have not been pitched towards restaurants. As a matter of fact, I've told people that you you may have gotten lucky not to have gotten the uh, the payroll protection plan money because it's forgivable only if you hire back your entire team by June. And I'm here to tell you, Mike, that restaurants are not going to hire their whole teams back by June. And so therefore you're on the hook for yet more debt with a very, very uncertain future. And um, so, yeah, the, the very long version of my short answer is money. That's Danny Meyer, folks. We've got more coming up. Stick around. This is ClavesOnline.com. Danny Meyer is our guest, and you'll hear more after we take this time out. Are you in the market to purchase a new or used vehicle? Munganass St. Louis Acura is here to help. Check out all of their inventory at stlouisacura.com. They'll bring the car to you, and they can also complete the entire process without you having to leave your home. Contact them today at stlouisacura.com. Hey, Mike Claiborne here, and by the way, thanks for listening to ClavesOnline.com. Before we go any further, coming up next, I want to introduce you to one of my friends from Ameren, Illinois. He's the vice president of gas operations. He is Eric Kozak. That's right. They're not just an electric company. They're also a gas delivery provider. Now, when you talk about smelling and locating gas and the potential for you to have a problem, what are some of the problems and some of the issues a customer could have aside from as the eventual, perhaps an explosion of some sort. So what are some of the other concerns you try and maintain? Yeah, so our number one concern is uh, calling 811 before you dig. 811 is a national number. People will come out and they will mark the lines for you and let you know where your gas service is. So if you're putting in a basketball hoop or you're putting in a bush, call 811. Because if you don't call 811, you might have to call 911. <laughs> and we want to prevent that call. So that's the main issue is people calling 811 before you dig so you know where the pipelines are in the ground. Is there a charge for that? There's no charge for 811. <laughs> in a situation where you're going to do some work, as you mentioned, how deep do you have to go before you would hit on a gas line? You know, I if you're sticking in a shovel in the ground, you should call 811. You know, we don't, uh, you know, we put our uh, pipes in you know, 24 inches for service and 30 inches, but landscape change over time. You know, different things happen. You don't know what the previous homeowner did. He might have took a bunch of dirt off. So if you're going to stick a shovel in the ground, you need to call 811 before you dig. And I just want people to know that, you know, natural gas is a clean, reliable, safe fuel. But like any source of energy, it can be dangerous. So if you do smell gas, you know, pick up the phone and call us. We respond 24-7, seven days a week, no charge, ever. And we respond on average within 22 minutes. Over 33,000 calls a year we get, and our average response time is around 22 minutes. And I think that's pretty good. I think it's impressive. So that's, that's the main thing is. And have your equipment checked out, and it's a wonderful product you can use for many, many years worry-free. What have you missed most and and what keeps you busy aside from trying to figure out what the next step's going to look like and, and taking care of the people that are still on your payroll? Um, well, we're actually spending a lot of time taking care of the people who are not on our payroll too, because once I determined that I couldn't be a great employer anymore, I had to figure out how to be a great unemployer. And so we have a call every single week. It's every, in fact, every Thursday afternoon 
with uh, everybody who once worked for us and now doesn't. And we provide resources to them uh, to help them with their unemployment benefits, to help them get emotional counseling, to help them with uh, learning how to do a great resume and job interview. We have a jobs board because the good news is there's a small handful of businesses that are actually thriving right now, especially because of, of what's gone on. And um, we set up something called the Hugs Fund, uh, Union Square Hospitality Group Hugs. And I'm really proud to say that uh, we have raised close to a million dollars and we've granted out about 800 or 900,000 of that uh, to people on our team to help them with their rent and help them with their groceries and, and other debts that they have. And so we're trying to stay in touch with them. That takes up a lot of time. We've got an online auction right now um, to raise money. But I, I would say that the thing I miss the most is the thing that I think attracts restaurant people to the restaurant world, which is we do live to serve. We, we are crazy people. No one got into this business because it's easy. And no one got into this business because the margins are so big. We got into this business because we love how it feels to make other people feel good. And we also happen to love what we put on the plate and what we put in the glass. And it's kind of fun to like, you know, when you come to one of our restaurants in New York, Mike, if I see you tucking into a good bowl of pasta at Myelino, which I think I've done. Yes. yes. Uh, you know what? You you may not know this, but I'm happier than you are when I see that smile on your face. Uh, I miss that. I really miss that. And, and being in that business, seeing people happy is what it's all about. And, and so, and for you, and we haven't talked a lot about Union Square Hospitality Group. Uh, over 20 restaurants throughout the New York area, and, and many of them have a, a moniker of being the tops in their category. Uh, how did that whole thing come about? Because people locally say, oh, Danny Meyer, Shake Shack. But man, Shake Shack is a small tentacle to a very large machine that you've been able to develop with a lot of good people to work with you. Yeah, well, Shake Shack started off as a hot dog cart. And we were, <laughs> we were cooking the food for that hot dog cart in one of the private dining rooms of a restaurant we used to own called 11 Madison Park. So Shake Shack was never, ever contemplated to be anything more than a hot dog cart. And then four years later, when it became a kiosk, which really owes a lot of its roots to places I loved growing up in St. Louis, like Fitz's Root Beer Stand and Crown Candy Kitchen and Ted Drew's and Steak and Shake and Straub's, all those kind of places. Uh, there was no idea that Shake Shack was going to become a company, uh, never mind a public company. In fact, we didn't open a second Shake Shack for five years. Um, I Look, I, I grew up in the full-service restaurant business, so places like Union Square Cafe and Gramercy Tavern and The Modern. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I miss them. I, I really, really miss them. And uh, what's fun right now, though, is uh, every day this week, I've had three or four different uh, Zoom calls. I didn't even know what that meant a few months ago with uh, – the, the few remaining people on each of those teams for those restaurants. And the whole point of it is to, to be really entrepreneurial and try to imagine how will we find a profitable, sustainable way to deliver hospitality outside the four walls of our restaurants while we're waiting for it to be safe to invite people to come back in. 
And I'll tell you right now, no one on our team doesn't make it wrong or right, but no one on our team is excited about inviting guests into a restaurant that's 50% full, where everybody's wearing a mask, where everybody's having their temperature taken, you know, every time they get up to go to the restroom. And at 50% occupancy, we're losing money. So what we're all very excited about is biding our time till there, till there is widespread testing where we know it's safe for our staff. We know it's safe for guests to come in to experience the restaurant, the, you know, the way you should experience a restaurant. That may take a year. It may take a year and a half. And in that year, year and a half, what I'm really excited about is the conversations we're having about how to deliver what we do in a very special way, even without inviting you into our restaurant to do it. You know, that that's an interesting point you make about doing less with more with the space and the rent and everything that comes with it. Uh, and you're going to have people say, I got to open no matter what. Well, I'm not sure if that's the safest way because it's almost like fool's gold because once you open and you start putting pen to paper and you don't have as much space or as many customers to have that it can come in, all of a sudden you're working from behind and most people can't catch up. I know I couldn't do it. I've, I've gone on the record saying, I don't think we've ever operated a profitable restaurant with anything less than 85% occupancy. So if someone knows how to do it with 50%, good luck. But here's here's the reason. You, you still have to pay your florist for flowers everywhere. You still have to have linen on every table. You still have to turn on the gas and the lights everywhere. You still have to have your maitre d' at the front door. So, you know, I'm really looking for ways to, to try to do more with less. One of the ideas that one of our teams came up with today is that that as a first step before it gets safe to bring people back into the restaurant, most of our restaurants have a have a really good private dining room. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things we could do at that point would be to, before we open to the public, serve family meal. So everybody is now feeling pretty safe with their own family. And there's a lot of celebrations that are not happening right now, like graduations and anniversaries and weddings and birthdays. Um, you know, one of my partner's uh, son is turning 21 this weekend. It's like, that's not fun. Our daughter's supposed to be graduating from college next week. She won't be able to get her diploma because the ceremony has been postponed for several months. But wouldn't it have been nice if we could, you know, have dinner in someone's private room where we got the whole restaurant to ourselves and the restaurant didn't have to set up anything except their private room. That could be a neat way to go. Danny Meyer is our guest in Setting the Table, uh, one of my favorite books. And if you're not in the restaurant business or if you, even if you are, it's a must-have book on your shelf. I, I bring that up for this reason. That book was very good. I hope you have already started to have a, a format to what your next book is going to be about and how this whole ordeal that we're involved in now and how you survived it and how some other people survived it. You got to tell me you're writing a book on this. Well, I'm living the next book. I'm not writing it. <laughs> it's uh, there's, there's, there's zero time in the day. I, you know, I'm, I'm literally out of breath all day just from, you don't know where the time goes. And and here's the weird thing. I'm not spending any time commuting. I'm just holed up in a 
in a house with my whole family. And we're very, very fortunate to be able to have that safety outside of New York City uh, at this point. But um, I don't I don't know where the days go. It's just meeting after meeting. And you know what? If, if there's any one thing I think I've learned during this time is you just cannot communicate enough because you're not bumping into people and having that odd conversation in the office or, you know, I'll walk through the restaurants and I'll have a conversation with the chef or the general manager or, or the wine director or whatever. So you gotta, you gotta just use every minute and do, do this thing in such a weird way, having, you know, the Brady Bunch on your computer screen all day, which is what we're all doing right now. You, you know, it, it's funny. We've talked a lot about Danny Meyer and his business side. As you mentioned, you're holed up in your home with your family. Um, what else have you had time to do domestically? Because, you know, when you're stuck in the house for this long, all of a sudden chores and projects start to come up on the radar and your wife and your family's looking at you like, hey, you know, we could use a little help with this or are you just uh, so removed from that that you haven't had a chance to address things you've been meaning to get around to? Well, that's a that's a good question. No, I, I think what we've all learned is how great it is to have family dinner. Um, I've had more family dinners in the last seven weeks than I've had in my whole life, I think. Um, I've You know, every single night. And I think that... Are you the, the cook? Are you the cook or... Sometimes, okay. sometimes. Right. My... Everyone in the family pitches in. We have our oldest daughter is uh, an extraordinary cook. Uh, she she has an ice cream store in New York um, called Cafe Pana, and she makes great pasta. I I anytime there's something uh, roasted or on the grill, I, I'll do that. And uh, we've got a son who makes amazing salads every single night, and my wife Audrey makes. Um, uh, the best soup you'll ever have in your life. It's, and it's, you know, it's, it's been a good thing. So here's the, here's the thing. I think that my limit is that with the exception of several days at the beginning of this, where we were having calls till 11 o'clock at night, trying to make really tough decisions. I really try to get away from my computer by um, let's say six or six thirty. I go on a mile and a half walk, uh, usually with my wife and our dog. We sit down and have dinner. Uh, I, I think in seven weeks we've missed wine maybe two nights. Um, and then we watch something on TV together. And, uh, you know, we, we all pitch in. If somebody did the laundry, somebody else folds it. If somebody did the cooking, someone else does the dishes. It, it's, it's worked out pretty well. Final question for Danny Meyer. Um, a lot of people look to you for for guidance uh they've tried to model what you've been able to build uh locally and certainly around the country there are a lot of restaurateurs that are in big in a big heap of trouble right now w what advice do you give people in this food and beverage industry uh that gives them hope that they can when they when the dust settles that they will still be part of this industry i try to call on my own sense of purpose because no one can ever take that away from you 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 know the uh the reason that you got into this business in the first place. Why? Why why did you do this? And you and that cannot be taken away. And that's the thing that has to drive us forward. How you do it and what you do are going to change. And so the the way that I've come to grips with this is to never lose sight of, of this thing. This this is the greatest experiment in human agility 
we've ever seen. This is like, this is where you need the player on your team who can play every position and who doesn't complain that it's going to be a different position tomorrow than it was yesterday. So you need because, Jose Okendo is what you're talking about here. Yeah, and Secret he can even weapon. be a first base coach when he's all done with his career, you know, <laughs> or third base coach when that doesn't work out. Yeah, and he can catch batting practice too. Why not? No, you, you. those are the people that are going to thrive right now. This is about agility, and it's also about people who are not stuck in their ways. I'll tell you what, if the, the days are over of having a – a cook who says, well, we don't do it that way. We've never done it that way. That's just not going to work anymore. It's it's all going to be about who can make change, who has fun surfing the waves, who has fun understanding there's going to be another wave. You don't know the size of it, but it's going to be a wave. And the way you're going to win is to be the last guy who gets knocked off his surfboard. Danny Meyer, man, it's uh, always great to visit with you. Uh, I appreciate everything you've meant to your industry for sure, but more importantly, as a great friend to me, uh, we'll get through this, and I can't wait to get to New York and sample some of the great delights of one of those great restaurants, and in the meantime, I'll just go to Shake Shack and uh, have a great time there. Well, Mike, I love you, and I'm really grateful to uh, get to have this conversation, and I do want to put in one quick plug, and whether or not you go to Shake Shack, um, I'm just my my heart goes out to that team of people because they have been working right through this thing. The minute this happened, they stopped serving guests in the restaurants, but they're cooking like crazy and they're cooking food that gets delivered to people and they're cooking food that gets picked up uh, outside. And they they're they're a great example of this kind of agility I'm talking about and courage and. Um, and it's not just them. You see this in, in grocery stores, supermarkets, uh, hospitals, obviously. These are the people that really should be applauded. He's Danny Meyer. I'm Mike Claiborne. And, man, how much fun was that? Uh, and hopefully for those restaurateurs out there who were thinking about what their next move might be, maybe this will help. More importantly, we hope that these restaurants can hang in there and survive because uh, we all like going out. We all like having a good meal. And certainly – when it comes back, we're going to be there, and hopefully they'll all be back with us. So for Danny Meyer, I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for listening to ClaibsOnline.com. And, hey, don't forget, we've got some other fun stuff online. So make sure you check it out. Tell your friends. You know where to find us. We look forward to talking to you with another edition of the podcast here on ClaibsOnline.com.